0: Welcome to the Parent Ed Podcast by Focus on the Family Singapore. Family life can be crazy and chaotic, so join us as we figure it out together. Hello and welcome to the Parent Ed Podcast. My name is June and I'm your host for this episode. Do you want to learn how to better communicate with your teen and perhaps even influence them? For parents, teenhood is a notoriously difficult phase of life to deal with. But maybe, with the right understanding and with the right strategies, we just might be able to retain some degree of influence with our teens. Today, we are very privileged to have with us Nicholas Gabriel Lim, to shed some light on this topic, Nicholas is the Head of Programs for Youth Work at the Singapore's University of Social Sciences. He has been an adolescent psychologist for the past 18 years. His mental health practice is informed by neuroscience, complemented by developmental, behavioral, and positive youth development theories. Welcome, Nicholas, and thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you, June, for inviting me.
0: Your CV is quite a mouthful, (laughs) would you like to sort of describe what you do and what drives you at your work?
1: Sure. I really appreciate this opportunity to share my work. I'm trained in psychology. That's my training in, and I've been in this space for the past 20 years. I was trained in Australia and I came back. I did my postgrad in Singapore and been working in the charity space for the first 10 years of my career. And then after that, I did my private practice for about five to six years and then went to the public service after that. More recently, I've joined the academia. So I thought what better way to share all my experience and my work and my learning than to teach. So that's my work. I have three kids all very young my wife and I we are both working so but we don't have any helper we try our best to provide whatever that we can provide to our kids and whatever they need you know Mm -hmm. and I think that has uh, shaped my wife and I in terms of our family development family growth and it brought us together very closely so I really enjoyed that part of my life so sometimes my wife and I we joke because she's trained in the early childhood sector so when they were growing up she'll candidly say don't tell me what to do I know what I'm doing you know (laughs) I said, yeah, okay, you're the expert here. <laughs> so, but does that mean that when they reach a uh, preteens, that's, that's my area, that's because that's my area of training. Wow. And expertise. And it's like, yeah, okay, fine. I was like, okay, uh, you say one. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so we, as much as we candidly, you know, uh, say that to each other, but we're supporting each other lah, throughout our kids growing up. Yes. And we have a good time together. Yeah. And obviously challenging time together as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So that's a little bit about me.
0: Thanks for sharing, Nicholas. So back to teens. Yeah the topic of today. It's a very unique group, right? There's so much joy and excitement related to this phase of life. A lot of discovery, a lot of experimentation, but I guess the challenges also come with that. They're very much still in the process of developing their own identity, finding out their own values. I myself, I have a teen daughter at home. She's 14. And I have to tell you, some days the weather is nice and sunny, but on other days it's Just dark and stormy and sometimes for very little reason or for reasons that I don't really comprehend. So from a brain development perspective, is this normal and to be expected? What does the science tell us about this?
1: and thank you for allowing me to share from uh, the brain perspective because uh, over the years in my practice I have uh, been guided by different theoretical approach but I've uh, landed somewhere in the middle of my career on neuroscience and I I thought that would be a good way to continue guiding my practice because it's evidence-based you know I can look at brain scans you know and then they will tell me oh okay this is basically what's happening in my brain and anybody's brain for example and I can appreciate what each of us are going through so particularly for the young people that I work with neuroscience informs me then that actually for a young person they are fully developed especially at the onset of puberty fully developed at this part of the brain called the limbic system it's a complicated space in the brain a limbic system uh, it primarily covers functions like memories a fight or flight response you know hormones regulation meaning making so it's right in the middle of the brain so you imagine the hemisphere and right in the middle like of the core for example right that's where the limbic system sits so at the onset of puberty that's fully developed and fun fact one-on-one brain development is that the, the structure of the brain gets fully developed by teenage years, but the neural connection uh, is still developing right and the neural connection develops from the spinal cord back upwards so you can imagine the neural connections from the back spine all the way up to the center of the head for uh, top of the head and then go to the front So it it develops from back to front. There's neural connections, despite the fact that the physical size, the structure of the brain is already fully developed. There's two things. The third thing is, we need to understand also, as far as young people are concerned, that the prefrontal cortex, which is actually the forehead above our eyebrows, right? It's only fully developed by the age of 25. Give and take. When I say give and take, because the maturity of the brain, the neural connection of the brain is affected by everything around us from the food that we eat, the people we talk to or that we surround with, for example, all affects what we learn and the brain grows neurologically speaking accordingly. Yeah, so in that sense, some people, the, the, the prefrontal may fully developed at 25, some may be fully developed at 28, 30, or may as early as maybe 21, 23, or it all right. depends. Um, But thereabouts, the prefrontal is fully around then. And the function of this prefrontal is basically this. That anything to do with the future, that's where the prefrontal comes in. The prefrontal is primarily responsible for things like, okay, if I don't study today you know, then I may not know a lot of things uh, like five years down the road or 10 years down the road, right? Or mm. if, if, I, if, I, if I don't learn how to manage my, my anger, for example, I hit somebody, then I potentially might hurt somebody, you know, or might get detention. There's a future consideration, the consequences. There's also the part about uh, decision-making. So in short, I don't typically describe the parents I work with. The prefrontal is actually the bricks. The limbic system is actually the heart, the emotional, the seat of emotions. An example of like if I was angry, if I don't use my prefrontal faculties, I'll be thinking like, okay, I just punch you lah. Or oh, I take something on the table and I just throw it here, for example. Or I just punch the wall and then I break the chair or something like that, right? Without consideration of like what potentially might happen. If I solely operated from the limbic system, my action could be resulting in those things I just described. Like hurting somebody or hurting a property or whatever it is. But the prefrontal will tell me things like, hey, wait, wait, wait uh, if you actually punch uh, your friend, your friend can go to the hospital, or the teacher can actually, or the parents can actually call the police. Uh, when you're called by the police, uh, then what happens? You go to the police station. Or you go to the police station, then how do you got a black mark, account? Like you get a warning. Uh, what is that? What's the implication to you if you are actually planning for university or applying for, like, a, like say, a public service job, for example, in the future, right? The part of the brain that considers all that is the prefrontal. So neuroscience informs us that it's not until 25 that prefrontal fully develops, right? So onset of puberty results in the fully developed limbic system. So that would mean that we have a 10-year window between a young person having to act limbically or act emotionally to them learning how to control their emotions or manage their behaviors in a way that's not to their disadvantage. And we see people, a lot of parents, even teachers comment, right? How come they never think? Now you tell them really, uh, ask them to study hard. They don't study hard. Or or tomorrow got exams, you know, or like things here, whatever it is, right? They don't, they don't, they rather play computer games first. Mm. or they'd rather go out with their friends just yes. or if they were angry for example or somebody they were offered like say hey want to go to a gaming arcade or even cigarette for example they will think quote-unquote think from the limbic mm. because exciting ma. I can be my friends ma, because you know there's a thrilling ma. limbic functions Right. Mm. But they would never think like eh, hey, tomorrow I got things here. Or tomorrow I got actually my exams or next week kind on of accounting, right? That's the prefrontal consideration. Right. So they don't go there. Instinctually they don't go there. But at that point in time when they're offered all this, right? The limbic gets extracted, right? And then they quote unquote thing from there and then they will act based on their limbic considerations. So
0: yeah. em- the emotions is in the driver's seat, yes. right? The thinking process and yes. what happens in the future if yes. I do this yes. is not quite there yet.
1: Correct. But see, having said that, you've got to be careful. See. It's not that they cannot think of the consequences. They can. The faculty is there. But remember I was telling you the neural connections take a while to get there. right? So that would mean that if you tell them they got the information there but to really act out of like, oh, wait, wait, ah, if, I, if I throw a punch, right, then i got to like be careful that I get rich catch me. Ah. They need to act. The action requires repeated learning. So that's how our brain learns, right? So like, for example, if you drink coffee every other day, why is it becomes a habit because we, did, we drink it every day. Or you We you brush our teeth on the right hand, we use it every day on the right hand, but if you actually change your left hand to brush your teeth. It's a bit funny, right? You feel a bit weird. That's how the brain learns. See? So same thing, if you ask them to manage their anger, you tell them one time, it's not going to work. You need to get them to practice with you. Like saying, okay, stop, ma, I know you're angry. Okay, can you pause right there? Hold your punches, count on me. One, two, three, four. And you, you do it not only once, but every time it happens, mm. you do it with the child. Then the brain registers that this behavior is actually repeated. So from a brain language point of view, the neural pathway for learning how to count and calm down gets developed after repetition. Not just one time, but two time, three times, four times. Then, like, oh, then the brain registers. So that's what we call the neural pathway has been formed. And similarly, with all other behaviours. But not that they cannot. Huh? I, must, I must say because they can consider consequences but really to act out of that consideration it takes practice
0: so would you say it is the parent's job then to number one drill it in before you play before you play your computer games let's do your homework let's finish up is that kind of repetition what is needed and then what else do we need to like practice with them Mm. do we need to rehearse certain things with them
1: Yes, it's interesting that you use the word, let's do this together, because this is exactly a limbic strategy. I don't know whether you hear this or not, but in my work, I often hear parents saying that you go and do your practice first. So that means the instruction is that you leave the child to go and do it by yourself. But oftentimes they don't. They will just go into the whatever they like to do, like play computer games, whatever it is, right? Or I go with my friends. But interesting that you say, let's do this. That suggests that you are saying that, come, I do with you. And that is a limbic strategy because the prefrontal is something that is still developing but they are more like with you and they don't mind doing it with you and they more naturally want to be with you because it's a limbic function. So if you can accompany me, you connect with me emotionally, relationally, I will do it with you. So if you can do it often enough, then yes, you're right. That guidance comes from the parent in this case. Mm-hmm. On the adult as opposed to like when we hear some parents saying that okay you better go and do this first and you expect the child to go and do it it's unlikely they will do it if we're talking about a lot younger all the more so you'll be like that they won't do it because they are still training to discipline the prefrontal part of the brain so they need yeah. a lot of guidance so it can be teachers it can be their older siblings you know it can okay. be their parents grandparents right? because they're mm-hmm. still developing in the brain any kind of support that can help reinforce the desired behavior will be very helpful
0: so in a sense you're trying to say like we kind of need to change our language but even before we change our language we need to change how we think and, and we need to understand yes. what they're actually struggling with yes. right because if we can understand that okay they may see your point about the need to like study before games but they may not always have the mental resolve to do it and we kind of need to step in as caring adults sometimes to support even, them yes, in this journey. Yes, exactly
1: right. And sometimes even the lack of capacity and ability to do so, right? Because resolve can only be developed if they do it often enough and they know they have developed some competency and because they decided that this is what I want and I know I can do it, therefore there's resolve. But until then they need to learn that they actually can do it a lot of us myself included are guilty of just telling the kids certain instructions a list of like a litany of things to do to do to do but you know and we expect them to do 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 kind of thing but they, almost every other minute every other second I can, I can sit my child down now the moment I leave him and the next minute he will be off to doing something but he or she will be considering from the limbic it's mm. more exciting man. or uh, more rewarding uh, maybe procrastination can't because I'm just lazy I'm just bored for example they're all limbic right in nature
0: so I wonder what other in- ingredients do we need to consider when it comes to being able to influence our teens to do the right things, being able to guide them, whether it's in the area of studies or in the area of life. For example, you may have a 13-year-old who believes that, oh, it's the right time to date. Because I found somebody, she's attractive and, you know, let's just go with the emotions, right? That's what my emotions are telling me to do. It's so strong, it's so loud. But then what does the parent do in that moment? Because there's so much to deal with. First of all, it's our own anxiety. Oh no, is he going to do wrong things, you know, when he's alone? How do I talk to him or, or get him to see my point of view? And I think you might then call us to start with the emotions which is very difficult for a parent because we're already going like many years ahead to say like oh no he's gonna do this xyz and then this is gonna lead to this kind of life
1: so i call this uh, parents going on overdrive so they are literally overthinking and they are primarily uh, operating from the prefrontal which is natural. Uh. And I will say to all parents who are listening or, or caregivers who are listening, right, not to support yourself for it because we're obviously adults now and we have fully developed prefrontal. So we will naturally be at the f- prefrontal first. But after listening to this, I hope to, you know, encourage uh, the adults in general, especially working with young people, to appreciate the reality, the fact that our young people may not be there yet, especially those that are living with us. So if we are staying in the same household, for example, and obviously I can see certain things that my child is doing and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is very dangerous. or you are not doing your homework that kind of thing. I'm thinking for my prefrontal. It's natural for us to do that. But our child is not there at that point in time. And sometimes we beat ourselves for I've like, been telling you like how many times you did at one time, you're still not listening to me. You know, like some, in Hawking they say if I read you know, because I said Too many times over, and then after that, some parents give up. So I want to encourage adults listening in to don't be disheartened because they are just at the stage, and I think we were all once. Okay, now I think I know we were all once there before, and we can remember those days in which we just want to go with the so-called the flow, you know, whatever things that brings us to provide us with the best fun time, you know. We just want to go with it. So, but as the adult living in a household or as the adult guiding the young person, we want to do things like setting the boundaries. The older they get, the boundaries must be bigger, like a playground, for example, right? You want to expand your playground space such that. That they can do anything that they want to do without considering on prefrontal, make the mistakes, but they're still safe. So to the point about having to mix with like a boyfriend, girlfriend, for example, yeah, I can, you can go out and have friends. My boundary will sound something like, okay, you need to come back by what, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. You're not allowed to stay at each other's homes, but you can bring your, your friend home. Like those are boundaries. But whatever happens when they're together, like they go shopping or they go, you know, wherever like school, for example, you, you don't know, right? But that means that, operating within the boundaries so if they do make a mistake or they experiment or explore certain behaviors you need to Back, that certain things may not be to your liking mm. or maybe against your household rules for example then I, I would consider this a learning window or window opportunity to find out what's happening and you can even engage them like oh you want to be with this boyfriend or you want to be with this girlfriend uh, name me some of the reasons why you think uh, that you want to be going to a girlfriend a boyfriend relationship right now uh, don't use the why question usually ask the what question how come right? what made you consider that hey this person is actually somebody you like to be with all this very intentionally engaging the limbic because to them remember quote unquote they're thinking from the limbic most of the time so if you can ask them instead of telling them then they will offer the information to you more than happy to do so because you are their child and they know that you care for them and love them they will offer those information readily usually you know almost 80-90% of the time usually notwithstanding the fact that there are obviously uh, families who young people grow up in a very I guess unsafe environment okay these are exceptional cases they, they may not want to uh, provide the information as readily so if in this kind of situation the adults or the teachers or the youth who are present in their life, they will do the same thing. I will encourage them to ask them, Hey, what happened? Who is this person? How come you know this person? Exciting! I come all this one hear? you talk about this person, but now suddenly you won't be with this person just like that. Mm. Is there a reason why? Yeah, so you engage.
0: It sounds like you had to put on a very curious kind of uh, lens yeah. when you engage with your child. Even though probably internally you might be feeling a lot more than curious. You, you might be feeling a bit of emotional turmoil, for yeah. example, because you are worried, you're concerned about your child. So I guess it takes a lot of willpower in a sense to kind of step back from our own emotions, right? Mm. And I think earlier you mentioned that we shouldn't ask why. I'm curious to know why not.
1: <laughs> I mean, I suppose you can if you have the right tone. But mm-hmm. I think this like a quick fix kind of situation. You don't want to use or you want to avoid word why. Simply because a why question would give the young person an impression that I did something wrong. Therefore, you're asking me for the reason. Especially mm. if I was doing something that I was not allowed to do so. So you ask me, why do you do this? Then I'm like, mm, okay, I'm going to get punished. I'm going to be like, you know, singled out and that kind of thing, right? So we, in the conversation at this stage of their life, right, we want to basically prevent all this kind of thing from coming up because we just want to have a conversation. And the more conversation that we have, you are keeping me at the limbic space as long as possible, as much as possible. But the more you ask me why, I straight away go to a prefrontal and then you mm-hmm. will hear, you will not hear me say anything to you at all. That's the last thing you want to do, especially when are, we are guiding them and you want to support them. And they will come up with all kinds of reasons from the prefrontal, <laughs> right? Uh, which may not be rational sometimes because they are just trying to think of our consequences and trying to run ahead avoid of you that.
0: They're trying to, to avoid, avoid that. Yet.
1: But they always, I hesitate to say always, but most of the time, they will give you an answer that... Uh, might even shortchange the relationship or even their situation and puts them in a, I guess, worse off state than what they hope that they would like to be in. Like for example, now nah, I cannot go anymore. Like, oh no, that's the last thing any young person wants because they get punished. Right? But that's not the idea as far as the adult is concerned. We don't want that to be the case. My intention is just for you to know that I care and I'm mm-hmm. coming for a caring space. and I just want to know what's happening. That's all. So we don't want to be misunderstood. I think the reverse is true also. they right? also don't want to be misunderstood. So if we can avoid a question like that, a like why question, then that will facilitate ongoing and continual conversations.
0: sounds like you're sharing some of these principles of creating a safe space for your child to come to you basically with whatever questions or dilemmas that they're facing. And that's more important in a sense because we really do want to be there. We really do want to be present to guide them through especially when they're facing those challenges. And if we clamp them down or we put them on the defensive and like you said to think about all the unpleasant consequences then it's very unlikely that they will come to you as their first port of call
1: yeah so I always bring the, the parents I work with right, on a visualization exercise mm-hmm. and ask them to visualize 5 years or 10 years down the road right? assuming that something really bad happened to your child who would you want the child to be thinking of first to call in that situation in crisis so assuming like you see in the police station for example who would you want the child to think for, about at that point in time to call for help so hopefully your answer is you lah. but in order for that to happen you need to cultivate that that connection that bond with their child from now such that they know despite the fact that they will make a mistake they have done wrong severely wrong because they are potentially in a crisis so they will still think that you are the better person to call despite all odds against them how do you cultivate that so all these things are important how do we cultivate that trust how do we cultivate safe disclosure how do we cultivate a sense of like saying apology to each other there's this thing called Developmental apology that I use basically means that the apology sometimes adults give to the child. It's not because you did something wrong, therefore you apologize. To a, an adult it's very difficult to actually accept because like, I never do anything wrong or why, why must I even say sorry to my child? But I say it's developmental apology because at that point in time they're so limbic that well, no matter how rational you are, they just don't get you. All the good intentions you will not connect. But the apology is meant to help them, like, okay, you got me. I still don't agree with you, but I cannot find any fault in you because you're this sorry. And so you don't have that kind of like you know, they say the not, you know, the emotional not there between the a dog and a child. So sometimes it's very key. So if you can use that to cultivate the relationship and in a time like crisis, you will remember all this and they'll be more than happy without thinking twice to come to you and say hey dad or Mom, I, I need you to come help me or I'm in trouble in very, very very deep trouble right now and they, are, they don't mind articulating mm-hmm. the issue something for adults and parents to actually really think about because I've met many 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 over the years uh, young people when they're crisis they, they don't even want to tell their parents about it which is very sad right? and parents obviously do feel sad as well la. Yeah, but all can be done it's not all doom and gloom because all this can be cultivated now and you can still work at it to build a relationship now.
0: well thanks for sharing that I found that the visualization exercise that you mentioned is very helpful because it kind of brings us from the here and now to imagine what it could be if I put in the right ingredients, if I put in the right time and effort into the relationship, it could actually look like that in the future five ten years down the road thanks for sharing that and I think we've heard a lot of uh, wonderful insights from you Nicholas so it is with a tinge of sadness that we have to kind of let you go as we reach the end of our podcast but yeah I would just like to give you some space to kind of think and share if you have any last words or any last tips that you want our listeners to remember when it comes to this communicating with their teens and really protecting that space of influence that they have
1: my call out to all parents and the adults working with young people the journey can be tough, can be a challenging one, but don't be disheartened because at the very heart of your relationship with them, very often, almost always, the young people will look to you as the go to parent, guardian, or you know, caregiver because they know that you have seen them grow up and they will always have you in their heart. And when they say things in anger, in spite, they're not intentionally wanting to harm you or hurt you, it's just reactive. They're just reacting and they're just being limbic, coming from the space that we talk about today. So don't take too heart instead, be intentional in your engagement, find your own space, do your self-care, go for a walk, go for your yoga, go for your massage or whatever it is, right? And then after that, once you have a good mind space, then come back to it and then you know how best to re-engage them again because they're more limbic than you. That's number one. Number two is they don't have a fully developed prefrontal, but that does not mean that they cannot consider... Prefrontal considerations. But you are in a better position to pause your prefrontal considerations and say, Look, I need to be in my limbic space right now. Let's park my prefrontal aside first and let me consider where they're coming from and engage them from the limbic. We, as the adults, are in a better position to do that more than the young person. So we want to be on top of the situation as opposed to being in the situation. And in the youth work language, when both of us are emotional, the adult and the child is emotional, right? It's a loose lose situation. Explosive. Right? Explosive. Yeah. And in trauma work, it's like you are escalating the situation and the work escalates right and sometimes when they say run away you can never get them back either physically or emotionally or psychologically run away sometimes it's very difficult to pull them back and if they are invited by somebody externally to op- and offer them a certain solution which is not so desirable then oh no so we want to avoid those kind of situations so with that i leave it with uh, the audience and thank you for the time i know this is quite deep in terms of the brain science behind it but if anybody wanted to know more i have my own web- website my own name and you can just go there and refer lah.
0: Thank you, Nicholas, for your time, also for sharing so much with our listeners. For you listeners out there, if you wish to find out more about Nicholas' work, do check him out at www.nicholasgabrielim.com. For more parenting resources, do visit our website as usual at www.family.org.sg and do also share this podcast with a friend or a parent who may benefit from it as well and remember to keep tuning in to the ParentNet podcast to learn and grow in your parenting journey.